Hey friends, it's Wednesday, October 19th. Welcome to today's episode of Enough for Today. I'm happy to have my first sweater of the season on and I'm gonna do some pre-recording right now. So you better get used to this orange sweater for a few days. <laughs> so welcome to Enough for Today. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm sorry you can't see this orange sweater. So it's Wednesday midweek, and um, I hope you've had a good week so far. My week has been incredibly challenging and busy, but also blessed. We are looking forward to groups tonight at Emmanuel. If you haven't registered for a group, there's still time to do so. Come jump into these studies. There are so many opportunities to grow in God's grace. In the main auditorium, we are deep diving into the book of Micah. And so come with your Bible and with your notepad. We've got outlines to hand out, but Pastor Stephen and I are sharing this study. I'll be teaching tonight's lesson, and I'm really excited about it. We're gonna we're gonna get through chapter one, and you're gonna it's gonna blow your mind what's in chapter one when we dig, um, because at first glance you just don't catch uh, what's really going on. But if you get your mind back into ancient Israel and you get settled into the land as an occupant of ancient Israel, then this chapter just pops with with meaning and with depth and with nuance. And so um, every now and then somebody will ask me, so do you guys, you know, really get deep at Emmanuel? And I never know what they mean by these questions. And usually uh, the, the cynicism or the or the criticism comes from people that have never heard one single thing that we teach as a church. Um, but typically we go through the Bible and we don't leave any of it out and we don't avoid the hard places. We just understand them. And I just happen to believe that all the hard places are there to shine a brighter light on the good places. So I'm not afraid of any of the Bible and you shouldn't be either. It's all God's word to us. But, uh, uh, somebody said recently, well, we know you're not skipping any parts, hard parts of the Bible. If you're going to jump into one of the most obscure old Testament prophets and some of the most obscure passages of scripture, uh, I love it, and I want you to love it, so join us tonight. If you don't already have a class, join us uh, in the auditorium, or that's the class that will be live streaming. So it's already, Lesson 1 is live streamed last week. If you really want to get a sense of what all the prophets are, all of the Old Testament prophets, go back and watch last week's lesson, catch up with us on the podcast, and then join us tonight at 7. So we're in Psalm 64, and I've eaten up too much time, and I apologize, but um, we are... We are listening to David uh, do spiritual battle against his enemies, again, with God. We covered the first two verses yesterday. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear. We talked about the significance of being preserved from fear of the enemy. Hide me uh, from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of workers of iniquity. Now, look at verse 3. Who wet their tongue, or they sharpen and prepare their tongue like a sword. So David's enemies are using their words to pierce, to destroy, to uh, divide, like a sword would be used to do. And they bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. Again, a reference to words. They sharpen their tongue. They shoot words out like arrows to do damage and destruction. Verse 4, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. So let's break this down for a minute. They're shooting uh, from a position of kind of conspiracy secrecy. They're doing this in hiding, deceptively. 
and they're coming up with slanderous, destructive things to say, and then they're shooting those out publicly, and they're shooting at, David says, the perfect. Now, what's the sense of this? Well, we've read other places where David freely admits he's a sinner and that he's failed. So we know this is not about some kind of deep, uh, comprehensive, uh, overarching perfection or purity or holiness because David knows he's sinful. So there's only really two other ways you can use this idea, uh, maybe, maybe three, three other ways you can use the idea of being perfect in the Bible. Uh, the second way would be that I am, um, I'm receiving imputed perfection. So I'm sinful, but Jesus was perfect, and he loans me or imputes to me his perfection in exchange for my sin. So there's a trade there, and that's judicially uh, acceptable in the sight of God. You have a perfect Savior who gives you his perfection, and you, he takes your sin, absorbs your, your crimes. That uh, imputed perfection is, it gives us, a, it, you might call that judicial perfection. It's an exoneration for someone who doesn't deserve it, and only by mercy. So there's actual perfection, pure, perfect holiness. There's the judicial perfection of being imputed with perfection. Then there's growing towards perfection. And, and those who know Christ are, are growing and being sanctified and maturing, and we are becoming perfect. We are being made perfect. We're moving closer into the image of Christ in transformation and conformity to Christ. And we're, we're, we're being made perfect. There's one other way to use this idea of perfect, and that's a contextualized, localized kind of perfection. I think that's really the essence of David's claim, because in this scenario, in regard to the accusations and the slander of his enemies, in regard to that context, David is perfect. He has not done anything to warrant these accusations or these verbal assaults. He's not done anything to lend credibility to them. Uh, maybe the word in New Testament would be blameless. Um, so in this sense, in this specific issue, context, circumstance, David has a perfect heart or a pure heart. His behavior in this regard has been flawless. And I think that's what he's referencing. So one other takeaway I want to lift out of this, and it's, you know, it's one thing to put ourselves in the position of the author looking at the enemies. And we all have enemies, uh, and, and God has enemies, and we're in spiritual battle every day. So that's a fair way to look at this. But I think it's also important that we flip the prism and that we put ourselves in the seat of, of verse 3 and ask ourselves, what are my words like? How do I use my tongue? Are my words more like apples of gold and pictures of silver, a word fitly spoken, um, communications that edify, speaking words that edify and encourage and uplift? Do I use my words to communicate grace, mercy, compassion, uh, admonition, encouragement, exhortation? Or are my words more like sharpened swords that divide and pierce and draw blood and inflict pain? Are my words more like arrows that dart out uh, with no chance to retrieve them and they land and they hurt and they destroy? And I just, I just want to land here today that um, we've all been given the power of our words and 
as David's enemies were using their tongues and their words as great destructive forces, James tells us that our tongue is um, not able to be tamed, okay? Short of the mercy and grace and, and power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, no man can tame the tongue. And it takes little fires and makes them big we, uh, when we use our tongues the wrong way. And so I just want to encourage you with this idea. You have a great power between your cheeks. Uh, you have great force for destruction or for edification. You have the ability to emaciate people or to greatly aff affirm and validate and strengthen them today. And I just want to encourage you to, to consider the power of the tongue and the words and go out today and use your words to bless and strengthen and minister to someone else. It's a great way to spend your day. Happy Wednesday. Hope to see you tonight. If not, we'll see you tomorrow.